Hey there! Welcome to Saz Unbound, brought to you by Saz Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. So here with me today is George Hainem, co-founder and CEO at Interact, a quiz building tool that helps you generate leads, segment your audience, and recommend products. He and his co-founders have never had a real job, uh, but now they have bootstrapped the company to 3 million ARR. And I mean, how much more real can you get? So uh, welcome to the show, Josh. It's amazing uh, to see you here. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me on. Okay, perfect. Well, um, I've got a ton of questions for you, but th first things first, uh, can you maybe get into your background a little bit? I know the whole not having a real job uh, thing and uh, how Interact came to life. Um, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, the timing is relevant because I got started in 2008, which was the last time the economy was in some sort of turmoil. I was in high school at the time, so I was like 15-ish years old, maybe 14. Um, I grew up really poor, so I kind of needed to support myself if I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do, like, you know, mm. the, the pursuits that I wanted to try and the shoes that I wanted to buy or whatever. Um, so I had to go off and make my own money. But at the time, you, you just couldn't get a job. Like, it was, it was actually impossible. Um, the unemployment where I was living was effectively 50%, like one out of two people oh, wow. was unemployed. Um, really, really bad. Um, and so I couldn't get a job. I tried for, for maybe six months or so, just no, no leads. So I decided to just go to door to door, trying to sell services that I knew, which was mowing lawns and putting in sprinklers and installing grass. I grew up in an agricultural area. So, um, I knew I knew those skills and that worked. Basically, I just was able to offer services for a really low price because I was I had I was 15 um, and also, you know, different like in that market. There was a lot of like chains that would come and mow your lawn or install grass and things like that. It was very impersonal. So I just took a very personal approach. I really tried to understand each client. And that business kind of took off. It did quite well. Um, and then I was hooked. So like since then, that was 15 years ago now, uh, I've just always done the same thing. Like look for opportunities in the market, uh, found things that I enjoy working on, and then built up companies. And now with Interact, it's, it's even more fun because we have a really good team that um, I can work with and learn from as well. Okay, that's a, that's a super inspiring story. I love when you know it's a movie kind of story here on the podcast. Um, but amazing. So um, one thing, this is not the first quiz building tool uh, that you know we're talking about here on the podcast. Uh, and at first, when I when I got to learn about those, I thought, okay, well, I, I did use one a few years ago. It was completely free. Um, it didn't for me personally, uh, just because I was also such a rookie, like I, I didn't know anything like how to make a, a good quiz or anything, but it didn't bring me uh, any value back then. And I was like, okay, so um, how, um, how valuable or like at the end of the day for you, how profitable can this be? Right. It's just, it's just a, uh, questionnaire basically right uh and I'm, I'm not trying to uh under underestimate or undervalue what you're doing of course but uh like now i understand the quality and the value of, uh, of a good quiz but how did you get into this in the first place how did you see that this this could be something that would eventually make you some money yeah yeah no i mean that's that's actually a really good point i appreciate that perspective and it, it helps us because we are constantly working to whittle down our ideal customer profile. And it's actually a very narrow niche that benefits a lot from using quizzes. They're, they're great for generating leads, but only at the point when you have a lot of people already coming to your website. And a lot is relative, like it could be 100 people a month, but those people already have to know who you are and be interested in learning about you and then land on your website, 
And then what the quiz does is instead of just having a pop-up that's like your newsletter or you know a box to fill in the form, which normally converts at like one or two percent, you have a quiz come up and it's engaging, it's relevant to your audience. And now you can use AI to do that automatically, which makes the quality a lot better. Um, but the quiz comes up and that converts much, much better. Like that's how we came up with the idea was exactly that. We were building out websites for people. They wanted us to just get them subscribers. They didn't really care about the whole website like that we built them. They just wanted to know their number of subscribers. And then we built a quiz for somebody who requested one back in the day when you had to do it like from scratch. Um, and the quiz just worked better for getting email subscribers. So we knew that people really only cared about email subscribers. They didn't care about their whole website. And we knew that the quiz worked better than the websites we built. So we made a platform for building quizzes. Hmm. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, actually, uh, it's great that you mentioned the AI side of it. I, cause I went to the website obviously, and, uh, I saw the AI, um, uh, tool that, that you're building. Uh, I think it's still in the very early days, right? Uh, because I went there and what it offered me is to like upload my information, but then I also needed to kind of tell you more, uh, by email. Right. So, and you know, you can, um, you can keep this information if it, if it's something you don't want to disclose, but is it something, um, like, like, uh, a lot of companies do when they're at the MVP stage. So it's something that you kind of tell people that it's already there, but actually it's a lot of manual work. Uh, so basically you do the job, but, uh, you know, you just, um, trying to validate the idea. Yeah, so we're at the stage now where a lot of it is there, but there's a few there's a few missing pieces. Like with with AI, at least how I see it is, it takes quite a while to automate each piece of a process, and so it took us four months before we put anything live on the website at all. Uh, and in those months, I spent about my I did it myself. I spent about a thousand hours uh, on the prompt engineering. Uh, just to figure out how to recreate an interact style quiz, because there's lots of ways to make quizzes. We have our own unique style because we've been doing it for a decade and our quizzes have generated 80 million leads. So we kind of have a process. So we reverse engineered that process to create prompts. And then the next phase of it is to automate it on the back end so that it takes those prompts and then generates a quiz into a customer account. A lot of that is automated right now, but there's a few missing pieces that we're still working with different AI APIs to automate. So it's not quite at the point where a customer can just do it themselves. We could put it to the customer, but we just would not feel comfortable with that experience because there's like just too many missing pieces. So right now our team is trained on using the AI different pieces to uh, fill in the gaps, but a lot of it is automated and then by the end of this year, it'll be totally automated and we'll have it live on the site. So it's, it's somewhere in between. Um, okay. we, we don't like to throw things up there that are like, what do you call that? Like a painted door where it's like yeah. not a real thing. Um, so it's, it's like in the middle where it's, it is human assisted still, but it takes our humans about like five to 10 minutes per quiz. Uh, so most of it is being done by the AI. Okay, cool. No, I love the approach. I mean, uh, I think it's it's a great thing that you're uh, there um, in this market and, you know, keeping up with the trends because AI is everywhere. Kind of everyone expects to go on the website and there is AI for you and it does for you <laughs> everything that otherwise you would do yourself. But uh, yeah, and uh, the fact that you're, you don't want to you don't want it to be like a half-assed experience, then, you know, it's also great. Uh, so love it. Okay. Um, and I, I get, I want to, uh, talk about the early days and like how, how you build the first version of the product. I think, what was it like 2013, right? With totally different experience back then, probably. Right. Uh, but, uh, maybe let's talk about the way you see it now, like say, um, as I feel about the products that, uh, came to the market 10 years ago, uh, a lot of them just kind of flew by, um, being very, mm, well, sometimes not really finished, 
right? And, and people just, you know, loved it because it gave a new feeling, it could um, offer a new experience. So it kind of was a bit easier to uh, just get to the market with an MVP was, that wasn't completely ready. Um, how was it for you? And how do you feel about right now? Like, for example, when you when you ship new features, is it okay to ship something that's, you know, maybe not uh, completely done? Yeah, so I'll work backwards because that, that last piece, sure. um, you know, how do you ship stuff as you grow? Uh, I, I just borrow this straight from Rand Fishkin and his thing okay. is like, the bigger you get, the more polished your MVP mm -hmm. has to be. Um, so at the beginning, yeah, like when we had no customers and no brand, like we would just throw things up. Like when our site launched, there was no login system. So you would like build a quiz and then it would just wouldn't save, um, which back then, I mean, whatever. But now, like I would say at least half of our development cycle is testing, maybe two thirds. Um, so the engineering team will build something. And then I would say, yeah, at least half the time is spent testing that thing because part of our reputation now is we're just a bulletproof quiz software. Like we have a million copycats and they have way more features than we do. But if you're serious about using a quiz as a core part of your business, and it is the way that people onboard to your list and then to your business in general, you can't afford to have that thing go down. And so now I would say it's at least 50% of the time is spent just polishing things. At the beginning, that might've been like zero or five, 10%. Um, and things would break all the time. Uh, we were also figuring out how to build stuff in the first place. So I think it's different now because a lot of the things that broke for us in the beginning, you can now just like plug and play code that's like, you know, yeah. open source. You know, so like a login system is open source now, uh, much, much easier. Back then you had to write it all in PHP um, and it was a mess and it took, you know, weeks or months to build things. Um, so I think it's a different ball game now, but I would say it's a sliding scale and we are very far up the sliding scale now because the volume that we put through on our quizzes, like I think like a billion people have taken our quizzes. So it's, oh, wow. it's like you really have to test things before we go live. And that's a majority of our engineering time. Okay. I loved how you uh, called yourself bulletproof. Uh, so <laughs> what, um, you know, what gets a founder there? What gets a founder to the point when, you know, he thinks it's, it's bulletproof. Uh, and um, you're, you're also very firm on the fact that, you know, you may not have, too many uh, blows and whistles, but you are very reliable to businesses that have this as a core of their operation. So how did you get here? How did you get to this point when you understand your customers and the businesses you're serving so well? Yeah, I mean, there's two sides of the coin and I'll, I'll give credit to my co-founder because he's the one, he's our CTO and he's the one that's really, really stringent with testing things and making sure everything, you know, and it's, and it's amazing. Like, I, I think that human creativity, like this is like creativity versus AI, like human creativity to break things is incredible. Like the amount of things that people will try with our software, you know, and we will, we will recreate these. It's like, click this button 22 times, then refresh the page and then add a question and immediately delete it and then refresh the page again. Like, that's the kind of stuff that we're running now because that's what people do. And they're like, well, it's broken. And it's like, well, what were you doing? And then they'll show me what they're doing. And it's like, okay. Um, so he's been very, very good at that. And our engineering team now that is taking that ball and carrying with it, everybody kind of has that same ethos of like, we want to make sure that we're testing these things. Cause that's what our customers really care about. Like everyone uses technology differently, interfaces with it differently. They don't use it in like the perfect linear way. Neither do I, like nobody does. Um, so that's, that's definitely his side of the house. On my side of the house, understanding our customers has really just been like talking to them a lot. Like I've personally had 
at least 10,000 conversations with our customers. Um, yeah, cool. <laughs> our team, our most tenured team member is at six years. Um, and she's probably had close to that number at this point, maybe a few thousand less. And then our newer team members are talking to customers three to 25 times a week. Um, and that's, crazy. that's just our ethos. Like we can't understand what they're facing and what they're really dealing with. And what we've learned, right, is that time is their most valuable asset. And so even if we may not have like the most full featured thing that has like all these crazy features built into it, if they spend two hours building something and then it breaks, that's way worse for them than, you know, sacrificing one little feature here, but they can build something and then not touch it for 10 years. And we do have customers yeah. that are approaching that number now where it's like you build a quiz, it does really well on your site and you just don't touch it. And that's, that gives you back what really matters, which is your time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. That that reminds me of a very funny situation that I had, and which is like nowhere near building a SaaS product. It was just redoing uh, the website, and uh, you know, at the point when I uh, said, you know, it it just looks so good, and you know, I I told people that it's live. Uh, and they went in and they went in with, you know, some SEO tools and like this and that and just tried all the different pages and gave me like a list of a hundred bugs and like fixes that I have to do. And it was like, oh my God, you guys, but like, you know, I just thought it's going to look pretty. That's it. <laughs> but, you know, it's um, so I cannot even imagine how many things you have to test uh, before you went bulletproof. Uh, so perfect. Okay. Um, you're bootstrapped, right? And I guess, well, based on your story, that, that was the only way to go. Um, why did you decide to continue that way? Because there were um, times when Interact was already live, um, when it was super easy to raise money. Why did you continue staying bootstrapped? What does it do for you? Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of competitors raise money. Um, a lot of them are not here anymore. And then some are, and the numbers being raised just got higher and higher. Like the total funding in our market is probably over a quarter billion. And, you know, they will come at us every time they raise that kind of money, you know direct ads against our name, you know, back in the day and maybe still oh, like right. direct emails to our customers, like very, very direct um, because we've had a name in the market for so long. And so when you, you know, you enter this space, it's like, well, who's, who's the incumbent? It's like, oh, well, it's Interact. Um, so let's go see if we can get their customers. And then what happens is they get the customers Customers use that for a year or two. Then the company raises the prices way up because they raised funding. And then the customers mm. come back to us. So that's a cycle that happens every three or four years. Um, super fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of want to, on that note, I really want to raise a topic of ethics in hmm. uh, advertisement and, and marketing, uh, especially in SaaS. But that's probably a, a different kind of conversation. Uh, yeah, please. Uh, tell me more. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, ethics, the ethics thing is crazy. One short story on that, like in 2014, 15, remember Brexit, um, yeah. like the EU, UK thing? Um, we were we were being used by the government of the United Kingdom uh, okay. to make quizzes to help educate people about Brexit. Like, how much do you know about it? No data was being collected in our thing. On the other side, there was this company called Cambridge Analytica um, who was using quizzes to steal people's information and then manipulate the election. Um, it's like a Netflix show about it. It's a crazy thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, for like a year and a half after that, no one wanted to touch quizzes. And we almost like went out of business, even though we did nothing wrong. It was just like quizzes got scapegoated by Cambridge yeah. Analytica. Um, so anyways, oh, wow. ethics okay. has been <laughs> a big part of our story. Um, and just like we've chosen to like be very bulletproof we've chosen to just like never touch any of that like sketchy data stuff. And it's like data comes through the quiz and goes to our customers and nothing else. Um, that's, that's it. Very, very simple. Um, okay. 
but anyways um yeah yeah, of course that was that was that was a wild story back in in the early days um but i think our decision to stay bootstrapped is for a couple reasons like one you know the position we're in now right like my co-founders and i are 30 maybe about to turn 31 um and we basically like can do whatever we want like um we, we have control and we have a great team now like we have a coo now who is incredible she's like an industry veteran and has come in to like help us stabilize the business so we really just have creative freedom um and we would not have that if we were raising big rounds of funding um we would be like strapped you know trying to push every quarter for revenue numbers and acquire clients that we don't really want to work with um and having to do all these things that that we just don't enjoy um whereas like most of the time i mean there's still stuff that you have to do that's not very much fun if you're running a business it's just part of it but for the most part like the big decisions we make uh, are things that we enjoy and what's best for our team and for the people involved and that i don't think would be the case if we were like because at this point we would be pretty deep into funding um, and we would really be having to push to grow, you know, really fast. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. How did it affect your uh, growth or marketing strategy in or if it did in any way? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the guy from Saster, he's like, you can bootstrap any company and just add five to 10 years to the timeline. Um, and I'm like, yeah, uh, that's about right. Like our revenue ARR growth is very linear over time, very consistent, um, you know, just kind of plods up very slowly. We've only had positive years, some years much more positive than others in terms of growth. Um, and I think the way that we grow is just like, we talk to our customers, then we understand what they're actually dealing with. We implement that into our product and then we talk about it through whatever content channels are popular at that point in time. Like content channels have changed so much since we've started yeah. uh, from like Google to socials and now like micro socials and then now kind of back to Google. I don't know. Um, but whatever, whatever platform people are on, we just like talk about the solutions that we've found through content. Um, and that's kind of all we do. We don't like push the envelope on you know, trying to, you know, force the issue or um, grow faster than makes sense for our business and keep it profitable so that we don't have to make like crazy decisions. Okay, well, it's good that you, you uh, started talking about channels. So how do you, how do you realize what channel uh, is for you? Or how did it change? Maybe because like you said, it was Google and then social. Was it mostly paid ads or referrals. So uh, what worked for you and how did it change with scaling? Yeah, no, we've, we've never really run paid ads. We've tried a few times just to see what it's like. Not, not really our wheelhouse. Um, we have a little bit of a referral program. It's, it's a really small part of revenue though. Um, and really what we do is we, we just talk about this industry. We talk about quizzes and we talk about email marketing and we talk about growing a small business and we talk about the mental side of it like you know staying motivated and things like that um 
And when we got started, like Google was, was kind of the go-to where people were learning. So we had a lot of blog content. Um, then a few years on, we took up podcasting. So we have a podcast that's been going for a few years at this point. Uh, then we took up YouTube when that started to take over and people were going to YouTube to learn. Uh, then we took up Instagram, and TikTok, and LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, so we kind of just like adapt, you know, the things that we talk about, which is helping our small business customers grow their businesses. And we learn what problems they're facing by talking to them. And then we like figure out some solutions kind of by like either our own research, which is a lot of the time, like we'll go out and try to find the answers ourselves. And then we'll share those answers onto those platforms. Um, and then just whatever platform comes up, like, honestly, like okay. it changes all the time. Like, I don't know, it, it, it's all kind of the same to me. I'm like, it's, it's the same stuff, whether it's on, you know, LinkedIn or Google or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, like it's the same stuff. It's just like a different platform and a different medium for sharing. Right. And now, as, as far as I see, uh, you're kind of trying to adopt uh, Rand Fishkin and Spark Toro uh, um, kind of uh, mentality, right? Other people are going to promote you other than, you know, uh, you, you just do it yourself or am I getting it wrong? Yeah, we have some of that. Like we do have like a network of people that we're really closely partnered with that we really value um, our, our partnership. So we do a lot of that, um, but also our team, like we have five folks on our team who are like externally facing, who create content, uh, whether it's like our podcast or on YouTube or social channels. So uh, we've kind of taken a more democratized, I guess, approach to marketing where mm -hmm. our individual team members are, sharing things and talking about growing businesses because they've been here so long and helped us grow that like now they have their own perspectives to share um so that's something that's kind of different that we do that not a lot of brands that i've seen do where it's usually just like the founder or the founders who are out there like talking like we actually have like five different people who kind of have the same sort of voice um publicly to kind of talk and share, um, which is which something different that we've done that's worked really well. Right. But you you uh, are still becoming, I, I guess, very public about it, right? Um, you, you kind of blew up LinkedIn. Is there uh, any sort of uh, tool, software that you're using uh, to help yourself do that? Or is it just the fact that you kind of went on uh, a ton of podcasts lately and, you know, it, it kind of blows it up, uh, itself. Uh, no, I don't use any tools. I like, I like telling stories. That's, that's kind of like, it puts me in a flow state. I enjoy it. Um, you know, all writing is to yourself in a way. Um, so it's really motivating to myself to just remember, like, you know, we have been at this 10 years. And when you look at those 10 years, like things have improved on a, day-to-day -day basis, you probably aren't going to see that on a month-to-month -month basis. It might feel really not great, but when you look at the aggregate, right, like things are going up and to the right. Um, and if it wasn't like, it's probably a good time to like question, why are you still doing this? Um, yeah. which is another, you know, I think really good principle. Um, so a lot of that honestly is like, you know, stuff that I would want to say to myself or to other small business owners especially in our audience, like a lot of people do tend to, to look at us and be like, oh, interact, like they've made it, um, or they'll say stuff to me like that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yes, like I'm very in a great spot. Like this is, this is a really good life to be able to live. Um, but also like there's, there's a lot of things that are the same when you're going through these different scales. And I don't know, I, I just think it's really a nice way to kind of share what we go through at our scale. So somebody that's coming up who's maybe at a million or half a million or they're, you know, getting started, whatever, um, can look at that and, and feel connected to it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It well, it does look on, on paper like, you know, like an overnight success or, you know, that you just magically figured everything out. Uh, but I know that there was a time um, 
when you went into a standstill and uh, for a while growth was was not really uh something you could find again so how did you get out of it what what was the magic trick or a hack or maybe just you know you had to kind of wait it out and uh find a niche where you know you could grow again yeah yeah so we've really gone through two two times where that happened like the first five years and then the last two years um so i'd say the majority of the time has been like that actually um where it's just very very difficult to get the flywheel going um in the beginning i think it was different because we were figuring a lot of things out like we were young uh we didn't really know what we were doing we would kind of like run a million miles an hour in one direction and slam into a wall and then try something else and slam into a wall like over and over again um this last time i actually think was more interesting so basically what happened to us is what happened to a lot of tech companies like in the beginning of the pandemic everything went up like crazy we got a ton of customers who were not our ideal customers um people that like really weren't ready to start working with quizzes. Um, and then like 2021, 2022, most of them churned out, like their businesses failed. They didn't like follow through with what they intended. As soon as the doors opened again, you know, from the lockdown, we saw just crazy pullback, um, which makes sense. Like everybody's been traveling the last two years and I don't, I don't blame them. Like he's stuck inside. Um, so what we learned at that time is more interesting because there wasn't necessarily anything new for us to figure out like, oh, we need to go and solve this problem of like, how do you make a quiz in this way or that way? Uh, or how do you like, you know, go to market or whatever, like the stuff we were doing was the right stuff. Um, and so this time around, I found it really fascinating because what we were able to do since like, you know, we, we have been profitable and we've been really smart with our money. So like, we didn't really have to worry about like the, the drawback in terms of like doing layoffs or anything like that. Um, we just basically looked at our whole business and we were like, all right, let's like pick this thing apart one piece at a time and just make it better. Um, and it was really slow. Like, and it, it, it is still slow. It's always slow. Um, but what I've seen like in the last two years, like since the slowdown started and now we're on the other side of it where it's picking up again, um, we've just gotten really, really, really good at self-analyzing our own business, pulling out a piece of it, making it better by understanding like what our customers need and then putting it back in place. So we've like modularized everything on both sides of the house, like whether it's marketing or product, We've put in a lot of systems. We've gotten better at understanding how to prioritize and move through things and hit deadlines more accurately. So we've just gotten like so much better across the board and each person. And then also as a unit, we've gotten better at that. Um, and so like there was nothing crazy this time. That's my favorite part of it. Like literally nothing changed, like in terms of like what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. We just got better at that process of like understanding customer needs and executing on it and then sharing content about it over the last two years, I'd say it's like, I don't know, 50% improvement in productivity. Um, so we actually were able to switch to a four day work week this year. Um, and that's great for all of us on the team in terms of our longevity and our ability to, to be creative. Um, and we're, now on the other side where we're starting to grow well again which is like wild super cool i mean i really enjoy this story uh, and uh, it just looks like you're very uh you're matured in a very sustainable way without um the crazy panic attacks about uh the the business going underground or uh and like the whole conversation i kind of feel like um i could have been talking to a million times founder in his 60s but you're you're super young like how do you how do you keep calm how do you keep this sustainable growth um and how do you keep your peace with it because a lot of founders uh let's face it a lot of founders on twitter reddit whatever i go um i see they're posting about their wins and um, sometimes I feel like when, when they talk about a product that they launched like three months ago and it's already at 
I don't know, $10,000 MRR. And it's, it's kind of given as it's not a success. It's, it's kind of, it's picking up slow, you know, and they are not very happy about it. And when I think about it, I think, well, this is not true. I mean, this is a huge growth. I mean, you got to $10,000 uh, in, in like, without people knowing about you in three months, tons and tons of founders dream about that. You know, this is just, you know, for, for some people, it's a dream come true. So, and that's why I, I feel like SaaS business is a bit in an unhealthy state right now because everything's fast, you know, launch your company in three weeks, launch your companies in three days. So how do you keep going for 10 years with the linear growth, with all the ups and downs and stay sane? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I have a lot of help. I, I have one business coach that I've met with every week since 2016. And he's like, Part of our team now and is just a pivotal part of staying sane and uh, you know he's older and has seen a lot and worked with a lot of people so i'd give a lot of credit to him uh, and then i have a second business coach that i started meeting with in 2017 and i've met with every other week since 2017 um, and then i have a really good support system in my personal life like my partner and friends and family that i just lean on a lot uh, for personal growth. And so, you know, it's kind of just been, you know, the, like the refinement over time of like, you know, why am I freaking out about this? Okay. Let's try to unpack that. That's why am I freaking out about that? And I think the thing that like really destroys business progress is like following the ups and downs too much and like forgetting that, like really what's going to matter is just like staying focused and working on those little things every day. And that's what's going to lead to that long-term growth. And yeah, I mean, I see so many of the same people like sharing on different socials and it's like, oh, I did this and I did that. And, you know, I've been doing it for a decade. So I'm like, mm, this is not going to last. Like uh, you won't be on here in six months. And what is the benefit of that? Like you're not learning anything because like you just had a quick success and then you gave up when it got hard. And then for your customers, that's what I really think about. I'm like, gosh, like these people that are investing time using your product, especially if they're creating something using your product, and then it just disappears overnight. I've seen that happen like countless times in the last decade. And it's so frustrating because it's just like, gosh, man, like no one wins here. And I, I don't yeah. think anybody's happy with the situation. I would say what really helps with like staying in it for the long term is like, enjoying the micro process like i'm not even gonna say like i'm gonna take it down below the process because everyone says oh enjoy the process enjoy the yeah. micro process like you know specifically what i enjoy is like we'll launch a new channel and we'll go from 50 views a month to 75 and like when you extrapolate that out to like our whole business it's like that means literally nothing um, like that does nothing for our company, like, you know, millions and millions of people a month, see our quizzes going from yeah. 50 to 75 doesn't mean anything, but in that 50 to 75, you can understand why, and you can work on your process and get better at your writing or your video or your podcast or whatever it is that you're getting better at. Same with like how we develop product. It's like, how can we get just a tiny, tiny bit better at our product cycle? Like this product cycle goes better than the last one by 0.5%. Uh, and that's a win and you celebrate that and you, you see that. Cause honestly, I think that's how everything works. Like this like fast growth stuff, even the AI coming out, it's like the AI seems fast because these models were made in the 1960s and professors and you know researchers have been working on it since the 1960s. And now it gets put into a chat bot and you think it's genius, but it's like, it's yeah. not, it's literally been like five decades of work. Uh, and, and that's the reality. And then I think that's actually what's really enjoyable. And so my heroes, you know, are people like, uh, James Dyson, the guy that made the vacuums and he worked for 30 years to figure his thing out. And, uh, the people that made like Porsche who same thing, they worked on basically one car for 50, 60 years. Uh, so I, I look to that and I, I gain inspiration from that. 
Cool. Okay, that's uh, that's great. That's uh, like I said, uh, a very healthy approach that I do not see very often. So it's really refreshing. Another thing that you said about customers and how it was really bad for you to get customers that didn't really understand the product, didn't really need it uh, at the end of the day. So, um, you know, looking back at the situation, how would you um, how would you deal with it? right now like for example uh i guess a lot of a lot of those customers like you say uh you are talking with customers a lot too right um so that communication could have somehow affected what you were doing with the product so how um how to understand if the customer is not really right for you and how do you understand that the features uh, and everything they're asking about are not really something that you want to build ever so basically how to how to say no to customers that you know are not your customers and how to be okay again uh with with losing a part of the market yeah yeah i mean i think there's a lot of ways to say no that kind of make it more gentle honestly when somebody wants to be mean they're going to be mean it doesn't matter what you say uh, and that's something that we've kind of learned our lesson on over time is like when somebody's upset and they just want to take out their frustration really doesn't matter what you say all you do is you don't escalate it so you just kind of let them speak their piece and if it starts to get you know to the point where it's verbally abusive then we block and cut them off because it's not okay for anybody to talk like that um and it's not something that we need to expose ourselves to or our team to so we do do that on a regular basis, unfortunately. Um, So it's something that we we have to do. Uh, In terms of like knowing who we listen to, we just have a very, very clear ideal customer profile. Um, So like the long and short of it is like, you have to be in business for two years. Uh, You have to have at least 100 people come into your site each month organically. Um, And you have to be creating content on a regular basis, meaning at least once a week or twice a month. Uh, and if you don't meet those criteria, you know, you're welcome to use our product, but we don't consider that in terms of our future development, because hmm. if we try to develop features for brand new businesses, we're not going to be able to develop features for our core customer base, who are those folks that have been in business. And the way our model works, our business model is that we really start to be profitable when someone stays with us for two to 10 years. Um, And so we're not making money if somebody just signs up and like gets excited about our product and then like doesn't work. There are businesses where it's front loaded, where they do make money if someone signs up because they're excited and then churns. Uh, That's just not how ours works. So we don't really profit unless somebody is going to be in it for the long term. So then we have to be really, really careful with who we invest in on our side, because we can't invest in everybody that's like, oh, that's cool. Let me let me try that out, because building and implementing a quiz takes time, just like everything takes time. Uh, so we, we're just really, really stringent with how we filter out our ideal customer profiles. Okay. And uh, was there any aha moment when you were doing that? What helped you the most in figuring out who you're selling to? Yeah, um, actually the story of uh, Porsche, uh, the the company, the car company, because uh, (laughs) they're owned by Volkswagen. um, And so the way their business works is they have Volkswagen, they have Audi, which they also own, Mm -hmm. they have Porsche, and then they have Lamborghini. So they own all those brands. and in their business, right, like the majority of their customers buy Volkswagens, which is like a regular car, regular price, like, you know, I don't know what segment you call that, economy pricing. Yeah. Um, and then you have your Audis, which is like slightly more advanced and more expensive. And then you have your Porsche, which is like your premium. And then you have Lamborghini, which is like your full custom everything. And our business is the same. like. of our customers are Volkswagens where they come in and they just want something that works. They want something that's functional. They want to pay a low price that corresponds to our lowest plan. It's called our light plan, our entry level plan. 
Uh, and then about 15 to 20% are Audis, where they want something with more bells and whistles, more features, they want more support, uh, and they're on our middle plan, our growth plan. And then a few customers are going to be the Porsches, and they're on our pro plan, so our top plan. And then we don't work with Lamborghinis. We refer to a partner software that we just kind of refer people to when we don't, because we just don't do custom stuff. That's the decision that we made. Um, and so it's really easy for us now to say like, what is this? And then, and then we have our tire kickers, which are the people that come in <laughs> and they have a billion questions, but they're not ready to buy something. And we just don't entertain those people at all. Uh, we have a ton of content. We have a lot of stuff publicly, but we have 12 people on our team and 7,500 customers. We can't talk to you for three hours if you're not serious. And it's also not good for you if you're just like out there blabbing about stuff all day long. Yeah. So we really quickly, you know, we put somebody in a bucket very quickly and our team is very good at this. And then we have boundaries on our side of like, we can spend this much time with a Volkswagen customer, this much time with an Audi, this much time with a Porsche. And that corresponds to how much they're paying so that we are not giving more than they're actually paying us for. Cause that's a disservice to all of our other customers. Cause our Porsche customers are, are getting a disservice if we spend too much time working with a Volkswagen customer. Um, and so that was, that was a huge breakthrough for us just to put that analogy in place and then all of us are very quick to just spot which category is this person. And then it's, it's much better for our customers as well, because they know what they're getting they know what they're paying for. There's not this like gray area of like, maybe you can help me. Maybe you can't. It's just like, there's, there's very clear boundaries. Yeah. Okay. That's super interesting. It, it reminds me of uh, another podcast I did with Baptisman from Crisp, and he's a huge believer in customer support and, you know, that you have to uh, talk with people. Uh, but um, we were talking about the way they do customer support because they are, I think, even smaller team. And um, they also are introducing AI into Crisp. And I was like, doesn't it um, kind of... Um, Sorry, what's the word? Uh, I'm so smart in my own language. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of fighting with the, you know, with your own beliefs that, uh, you know, you have to always talk with your customers. And he's like, well, you know, sometimes customers ask really dumb questions that they can actually Google. And, you know, if the question can be Googled, then I don't want to spend my time answering for you. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, that also uh, relates to that. So perfect. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, all right. Well, just a couple more questions. And uh, this one is uh, everyone gets it. So what's the biggest win and the biggest failure so far for mm. you personally as a founder or maybe for an entire company? Yeah. I think the biggest win is our team. Like our team is incredible. Like everybody's autonomous. Everybody owns different aspects of the business in terms of like deliverables and making, being accountable for things. And what it allows us to do is just have a lot more longevity because nobody's getting burnt out, trying to wear a million different hats. We all pick each other up and support each other. No one's trying to like take credit for everything and, you know, divvy up the pie of like who did what. Um, and it's, it's incredible because I think it allows all of us to just focus on our craft and get better at what we do, which is really what's enjoyable. I think the biggest failure is something that you alluded to earlier with the, the Twitter people who talk about their overnight success. And hmm. when we got started, the really, really dominant narrative was growing 10% per week or else you're not a real company. That was like yeah. an unhealthy narrative. That was, that was just it. It's like, if you're not growing 10% a week, give up and try something else, which I think is absolutely incompetent in terms of that advice. Um, but that was hard to fight against. We were based in San Francisco and that was all around us. And, we tried so hard to grow at that rate and nobody won from that. Our customers didn't win. We didn't win. It was too stressful. Like 
it just wasn't happening. Like we, we are a business that grows healthily uh, in good years. You know, when it's not the pandemic, it's like 30 to 40% per year. And that's sustainable for us. It's healthy. It's good for everybody or it's good for our customers and our team members. Uh, so trying to like push that boundary and keep up with the people who are honestly inflating their numbers anyways uh, was really bad for us. Yeah, yeah. Twitter can can really put you in a in a very bad headspace. Uh, but okay, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, just one more question. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Brent Fishkin. Is there any other person and any other company that you're super inspired by? Because we did an episode with Brent. Um, <laughs> is there anyone else uh, that you're really inspired by and would love to see here? That's a good question. I feel like um, in the current state of things, I, I should probably know if she's already been on, but has Melissa Kwan been on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. she did. I figured, I figured <laughs> she was. I figured she was. That's the only one that's coming to mind right at this moment. Honestly, I get really inspired by history. So I like the Acquired podcast. I listen to like all of that, like the Founders podcast. Um, yeah. I listen to all of that. So I read a lot of like biographies because like i don't know there's not that many like bootstrapped folks yeah, at least that true. i've been able to find yeah okay all right then um i'll keep looking <laughs> <laughs> the search but, goes uh, on <laughs> yes that's true but josh it's been an incredible story i absolutely enjoyed it uh i'm really looking forward to seeing what you do next and um uh, We'll, you know, we'll continue following you on LinkedIn and see what you're up to. Yeah, thanks. We well, appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much and take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.